enjoying the weekend together celebrating her birthday and they send you greetings and uh, I have two maladies of my own that I've already told the Sunday school class about that you're going to have to bear with this morning well the third one would be I'm preaching <laughs> first two is that I'm still have one of these lingering allergy problems and sinus infections so I, I pre ask for excusing if I have to cough and uh, it just it just seems to come and go and the other one is I don't know how loud I'm talking I wear hearing aids and one of them went on the blink last night the right one I don't think getting in the shower with them on had anything to do with it but anyway I'm one ear this morning so I'm just gonna speak and uh, you can listen and hope the guys in the back can regulate my volume uh, for you. I'm going to read for all of us out of the book of Romans, chapter 8, 1 through 11. So will you please stand for the reading, and then I will pray at the end of that. Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through one's flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who are walking according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are walking according to the spirit, they set their things on the mind of the spirit. For the mind set on flesh is death but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so and those who are in the flesh cannot please God however you you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of his righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we pray that we are humble servants and destitute of need of your grace and mercy each and every day with desiring wisdom and understanding to bring honor to your name in all that we do and to comprehend the greatness of not a religion called Christianity, but a personal God loving us 
granting his grace and mercy to us in faith in the preciousness of his son Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name I pray. Amen. So our text this morning is out of Romans, but I'm going to get to there via a little shortcut to Paul's letter <coughs> to Corinthians, to the Corinthians. You know, uh, I think I can speak for most of us who are adults uh, only because the younger people have not uh, had the uh, opportunity to experience some of these things or maybe the, the challenge of experiencing things where you've uh, been caught in a, a circumstance where there is a calamity that involves someone that you don't even know. You know, I'm not talking about a, uh, you know, an accident within the home or a loved one or anything like that. I'm speaking about when you're out in public and something occurs and you're only a person around, like someone choking in a restaurant, desperately choking, and you're the only person there to give aid. Back in the 80s, this happened to me, and it was a very, very, and is a very, very memory recollection to me. Uh, we were, I was in the construction real estate development business for many, many years, so we were out north of San Antonio, and we were pouring a large foundation out there. And in those days, north of San Antonio was quite far out. It wasn't as developed. And uh, we were in a very wooded area with only a construction passageway to get into where the site was. And so we were there with all my men and uh, Ready Mix Company, and they were, we were pumping out a big foundation there. And it was, you know, a winter day. It was about 50, something like that, and overcast. And, Rainy, and so um, the uh, owner of the ready mix company that I was using, he and I were standing there. We were hunting buddies and friends, and so the trucks were going out one at a time, and they could only go out right out to the farm market road. Then they turned into bar ditch and just washed out and cleaned up, and we went back to the plant. And we ran 10 or 12 trucks out like that, and I was standing there talking to him, and all of a sudden, the last truck that went out, I saw the young driver come running back through the woods, and he was just screaming and shaking his hands and, and uh, hollering and waving at us and he ran up to us because this is a distance out to that farm market road about 200 300 yards and uh he came up to leo and i and he said something's happened something's happened that's all he could say he was white white as a sheet of paper and so i looked at leo i said leo you take care of the poor i said i'll go out there and check what's going on because we still had some trucks in the area and all that so I ran on out through the woods, and I came out, and just as I broke out, there was the farm market road. And I came out this way. And just as I came around the corner, this whole ready-mix truck was just engulfed in a haze of smoke. Or so it appeared to me. And I thought, what in the world's going on here? And this is a very remote area, very little traffic. And so I walked up to the back of the truck and I looked both sides to see what was going on and I thought, well, maybe he's busted some hoses on his hydraulic pumps and they're catching uh, the air and it's, you know, and calling fire or whatnot. So I walked around to the front of the truck and the truck was parked this way. And as I walked around to the front of it, you know these cow catchers they have on the front of those concrete trucks, they're huge, big bumpers, you know. And I came around the corner and there was this little compact car I guess it was probably that wide when it started but it was wedged up under the cow catcher a uh, little two-door coupe of that ready mix truck and of course I couldn't see it from the back because it was a very small car 
and it busted all the windows out and broke the motor, knocked all the hoses loose, so all the hot fluids in the vehicle were meeting the cold air, and hence all what I thought at first was smoke was just, you know, vapor. And I walked around to the side of it. Whoa, there's a, the head of a young lady, just barely above the door level. And I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. All the windows busted out, blood everywhere, you know, the whole nine yards. So, and this is all happening just like that. So I opened the door and one hand was behind the seat and the other one was back over the seat. Her head was slumped down, eyes were closed. And I reached up to find out if she had a pulse. And at that moment she went <gasps> and just spewed out a ton of blood and all other type of ingredients. And then went <sighs> and uh, never saw anything but the whites of her eyes roll back in her head. About that time, Leo came running out, and he said, what's happening? I said, call Comal County Sheriff. We've got a fatality, Leo. Those days, we didn't have phones. We had two-way motor oil radios, and we had to use our trucks to just go back to our dispatcher and get the dispatcher to call in a 911. So Leo took off running, and I went back, knelt back down beside her. And I was going to check her pulse again when she made this <gasps> and raised up, opened her mouth a little ways, and instantly I thought she swallowed her tongue or there's bone fragments in the backside of her mouth. And I grabbed her face and I spread open her mouth and I ran my finger behind her teeth. And lo and behold, I hit something and I reached my thumb in and I pulled and when I did, she went <sighs> <sighs> And then she started breathing. And then she opened her eyes and I could see her pupils. No more white, her pupils were her eyes. And she was back into a rhythmic, but not fully conscious state. And I thought for sure that she was dead. And yet she was alive. And I turned around and I looked in my hand between my finger, my forefinger and my thumb and there was a dental retainer. It didn't hit her so hard when she flew across to the other side of the car, bounced off it back over the console into her seat. See, old style retainers of the 80 where all the wire was turned up like this all the way around to the back teeth and then the full bridge of the roof of the mouth. And when it hit her, it knocked it down and shoved it right back at the base of her tongue and the wire stuck in the top of her mouth. That's where the blood was coming from. And she could not breathe. That's why she was gasping for breath. And then when I pulled it out, thankfully she was able to breathe alive. She spent three days in the hospital and then called. And uh, I did not talk to her, I was out of the country, but uh, the, uh, my secretary talked to her and she was a very thankful lady. I don't think I ever, she ever found out about the retainer being the problem. And to this day, I don't know where it is. <laughs> I don't know what I did with it. I was just happy to see her alive. So sometimes we're compelled to do the things that we really prefer not to do, that we would not like to do. But it comes about that way. And then thinking this lady was at death's door, uh, life came back into her physical life as we know it. 
And that's what Paul was writing to, and I'm going to briefly go into here to help us get into Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul was telling that church at Corinth that he loved so much. He said, it is the love of Christ that compels us to do the things we do, to have a hope, to have a faith that's not based on something tangible that you can see, our God in heaven and our Christ who are spirit. And he says, and we did that for you. It's that compulsion that comes to the people of Christ that share with each other in fellowship and with the gospel and with all other things because Christ controls us. And he says that he died so that we could die to self and live to him. Now, for those who may not quite get this in the young group, I'm not talking about physical death, not the actual demise of leaving this earth, but there is continuously in the scripture the reality of being dead or alive or dead and alive. And the scriptures are very clear there, and Paul's saying that he has died for us so that we should could cease living for ourselves. And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away and the new things come about. To some degree, that illustration of that young lady <coughs> is a representation of creation, recreation. She was literally on the brink of death and came back to physical life. That's the picture that Scripture presents of the spiritual work that the Holy Spirit does in our life when we are granted the mercy and grace of God to believe upon the accomplished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. We are literally dead under the curse of sin and death. We are in existence and living, but not in the way that God calls us. So he says that there is a new creature. We are a new creation. It actually says in uh, the Greek is con conveyed, therefore if any man or woman, that's the generic understanding there, in Christ, there is a new creation. There is a regeneration of that person physically, now that regeneration comes about spiritually. And when Peter wrote to his church, he said, in being born again by the power of God in the Holy Spirit, then in this recreation, in this regeneration, in this renewal of our old physical bodies into that which becomes spiritual, we become partakers of God's divine nature because all that has been placed in us and for us and through us by Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ is conveyed to us in the new creation. And that's why he's saying one of the most profound standards of measurement for you as a Christian, the greatest litmus test in any of your lives is how you now view your life in that new creation. 
how you understand that life, how you live that life, and how you act out that life. Because he gives us the prelude to it right there. But he answers it more emphatically in Romans. Old things are passing away. And the new things, which is the new creation, are coming about. And that's simply telling us is that we've been reconciled with God by the satisfaction of Christ's death on the cross. That reconciliation means that previous to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we are in the flesh. We are acting naturally. We can only act within our own natural scope. That's who we are. That's what we do. And in that new creation, we are given the freedom to move out of that and our will to be inclined to the will of God because, as it says here, the Father made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. We have a little plaque in our house that said Christianity is not a religion. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And therein lies the difference. When you start understanding this is not just some entity in outer space. It's not some science fiction metaphors and illustration and words and phrases. This is the real understanding and comprehension that salvation is a gift of God and that in it we receive it because it is granted to us and that our sin becomes atoned for in Jesus Christ because he knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That's God. And what he is doing and has done in those who are in Christ. How more personal can it be? We who deserve not anything from God because of our sin and the glory of his holiness can never come together. The only way they do is at the cross. God cannot accept our sin in any shape, form, or fashion because he is holy, majestic, beautiful. And is so far separated to sin, we cannot even use an illustration to comprehend it. So then the question is, how can he accept the sinner? And the scripture tells us quite fluidly, not by works of righteousness, not by any meritorious act on your own because it tells us naturally we don't pursue God. Does that mean we can't do good things in life according to the way we understand the definition of good? No, certainly we do. We help our neighbors out at times. You know, we do other things in the church. Well, let's leave the church out. We're talking pre-salvation, okay? We're talking about pre-regeneration, pre-new creature. One time Linda and I were driving, we raised a great-nephew, her great-nephew, uh, from when he was born until he was 14 years old, and then they moved out of the state. 
He's about three and a half years old, and we're driving down the road, you know, just she and I and him. And we're playing some uh, hymns, old hymns, and actually it was Tennessee Ernie Ford. How many know Tennessee Ernie Ford? I thought it would be very few. For the younger group that don't know that, he uh, goes back a few years and uh, was a very, very gifted and very talented man. He was particularly known for his spiritual and hymns that he sang. In one of the hymns, there was a lyric in it that says that in Christ Jesus, I'll be changed, changed from that creature that I am. And so the hymn finished, you know, and Melinda pulled it out. I think she was looking for another. This might have been eight-track days. I don't even remember. It could, or, uh, so we were, it got silent, and all of a sudden we heard this little voice in the back seat. Linda, Linda, that's what he called Melinda. He didn't say Mullen, he said, Linda, Linda. What kind of creature was he? <laughs> and that's the question we need to ask ourselves. What kind of creatures are we? We're, there's the before and there's the after. And therefore, the old things of the old self are passing away and the new things are coming about. But the personal part of it is, is that he says who died and rose again on your behalf. And we see that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf for us in order that we could enter into union with God and be reconciled and have that peace with God and the wrath of God that we justly deserve for our sin and our sinful condition has now been transferred here. And his righteousness, not ours, is imputed, credited to us. And therefore our sin is atoned for. It's taken care of. Acquitted. Thrown out. No case. No double jeopardy. No nothing. Given once. It's earthly, and it's eternal. So I'm going to Romans chapter 7, if you'd like to follow with me, so that we can bring this all to an understanding and a comprehension um, to see what Paul always wrote. When he wrote, it didn't matter who he wrote to. There was a standard way that he wrote. And within it was always doctrine, and then there was application. But he never left out. God's glorious grace and our condition. Because that's the basis where we start to understand the person of God and the work of Jesus Christ and the personal reality of what Christianity is. So when we get over to Romans, before I start in Romans 8 and just highlight it for us, I want to go to 7. And Paul goes back to the state of where he was. In the first six chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has given us one of the greatest dialogues and treaties on the just shall live by faith. The righteous by faith shall live. God being able to justify you and me as a sinner in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It is the way that the Trinity devised before the foundations of the world. And so he used six chapters there in Romans 
to explain to us. Justification is by faith. Faith is the gift of God. It's all based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ fulfilling the law, sinless, dying, and resurrected for us. And then Paul gives us a look at himself in Romans 7, though it's applicable to all of us. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, in my nature, in the natural way that I came forth from the womb and who I am and what I am. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. He's not blaming it on sin. He's simply saying, here's the reality of it. What I've been telling you is that I am a sinner. We are sinners. We are natural born sinners, conceived in sin. We don't become sinners because we sin. We are sinners. And he said, this validates what I've been telling you and what I'm saying about myself. When he persecuted the church before he was saved, when he allowed for the murder of Christian people, Paul himself, he says, even when we want to do the things that seem to be good, he says, I am, the very, I am doing the very thing that I do not wish when I do the wrong. So the proof is that I'm not the one doing it. It's the reality and sin in me causing me to do it because that's what my whole person is. Sinful, outside of God. That's why John wrote in his Gospels, we're perishing. Sin and death is what we come into the world with and outside of God's grace in Jesus Christ what we call so he says in verse 29 I find then the principle that evil is present in me even me the one who wishes to do good and I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my memory it's a lot of ifs and compound sentences there and everything. But when you see in verse 24 what Paul's crying out for is the fact that no matter what we do, we wage war against sin. We do things that are good, and we do good works, but those are not holy. Those are still within the spiritual cavity of death and sin. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in all of me. And then he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, he answers it. It is Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he helps us qualify this in the last verse there. Then he says in 
So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. God's work and promise in salvation in his son Jesus Christ through the Spirit is earthly and it is eternal. And when we look here, we see this, we say, there is a battle that rages between our old self and the new creation in Christ Jesus. And that battle will be in conflict until we die and leave this earth or Jesus Christ returns. This is the law he's speaking about at the members of my body. I know to do right and I know in my old self how to sin. And that war will rage in us. But yet in Christ Jesus, we're free to overcome these things because now our will in this new creation, this new transformation, this new creature spiritually becomes inclined to the will of God and to the way of God and starts dying to self in sin and living to Christ in the Spirit. So then he starts chapter 8 with this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. This is the life, the new life, the recreated life, the regenerated life. It's the life that Christ told Nicodemus and is universal to everyone, past, present, and future, unless you are born again. You cannot see nor enter into the kingdom of God. That's in relationship with Christ and in eternity with Christ. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. First part of that, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, the law of the spirit and life of Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin is the charge against us. Death is a sentence. In the newness of life in the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and his grace and mercy. Now we're talking about freedom. Being free. Because you have now been set free from sin and death, will you die? Yes, we will. But not in perishing in salvation and deliverance because Christ has reconciled us to his father for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh God did sending his own son in the likeness of flesh and sent him as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh take it away sin is accounted for and God can justify you, and he can justify me in the righteousness of his son. And he answers that question, why? 
Why did God do this, verse 1, 2, 3? Look at 4. Why? In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. I have not fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Have you? No. It's part of the blessing of the glorious promise of salvation. It was fulfilled in Christ. He who became sin and knew no sin took all the sin on Calvary's cross and atoned for it. That's why our slate is wiped clean. The charges dropped. The coat room cleared. And heaven available. And then he's going to tell us, because we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And it has been fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ. You see more and more in the person and love of God in his Son, Jesus Christ, poured out to us. For those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit set their things on the Spirit. There is the new creation. There is the test for you to understand. Am I fleeing sin? Do I have a great caustic hate for sin? Do I deplore sin in my own life? And when I do sin, am I penitent? Am I blown away about it? Because it does not bring glory to God. And then God in his graciousness says, if we confess it, he is faithful to forgive us of our sin. And there's where Luther wrote 500 years ago one of the most profound statements at Justice at Simultar in the Latin. We are simultaneously sinners and saints. Paul said, who will set us free? Christ will set us free. In this earth, we are set free to the freedom to live according to the will of God now because of that new creation in us. Whereas before, we were in the bondage of sin. Now we can flee from it and run from it. Look at this. Those according to flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who are born according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life. And because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God because it cannot do. It's not able to do so. None of us can change our position, only God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive simultaneously because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Both now and forevermore, he will. Let me conclude this morning. There's a lot of context there, but hopefully to gain us a lot of thought. Another letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. So we have to ask ourselves, who are we in Christ? What do we do in Christ? What do we look like in the new birth? How do we act? What is our mindset? What is our desires? What are our feelings? 
And Paul said, "For the law, through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God, because Christ is a sufficiency for the law. The law required 100% obedience from sin, 100% obedience and no sin, and only Christ did that. And so he now says in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. None of us have been killed with Christ on the cross, but in the fullness of what he has accomplished, we have died on that cross with him because he died on our behalf. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And we can rejoice because the righteousness of God is displayed in the gospel. In his Son, Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, for unrighteous become righteous. The unworthy become worthy. The unsaved become saved. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words this morning from your truth of your scriptures and to move into our heart to love and to enjoy them, Lord, and to desire to understand and comprehend them and to give glory to you in all the facets of our life so that we may live not by the flesh, but by the Spirit in all that we do, and that we may live a life where there is no condemnation, because now our will and our freedom through the recreation is bound with an allegiance to Christ to bring honor and glory to his name. We thank you for this. We thank you for church this morning. We thank you for being in our presence. We thank you most of all for that precious gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.